0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Theology and Insanity, a weekly Catholic podcast on theology and culture and philosophy and all things... Really about God, right? Discipleship and things like that. My name is Dave Van Vickle, and I'm so excited to join you uh, to to do this. And this is a new endeavor. This is our first episode, and I think it's going to be great, right? In case you you didn't catch the uh, the hat tip there to Frank Sheed, right? Our, our title is Theology and Insanity, based kind of on his his uh, seminal book Theology and Sanity. And, uh, you know, Frank Sheed was one of the greatest Catholic communicators of of modern times. So uh, we kind of thought it was fitting both for the culture that we're living in, but also uh, for the uh, just uh, honoring him in a certain sense. You know, we're kind of walking in his footsteps. I'll be joined each week by a co-host, Dr. Mike Cirilla, and uh, we're going to be going on this journey together. I think it's going to be exciting. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be with you, Dave. I think that um, you know, we kind of like started talking about like what this podcast was going to be about and for me, I think um I've kind of come to like a weird uh conclusion over the last uh 3 years of my life. You know, I'm I'm involved in evangelization. I'm a professional evangelist and you know, in a lot of cases, right, um evangelization kind of leaves hard theology behind and I've seen like that's a major deficit, right? Like uh, like in the life of the church, right? We have to, theology is very important. And there's like kind of this group of people who want to say like, well, is it is it Jesus or is it theology? Or is it religion or is it theology? You know, so I want to make sure that uh, we realize like, the study of theology is the study of Jesus Christ, period, you know, and that none of us can be a slouch in theology. But the same problem is happening on the theologian's end, right? Okay.
1: To, do, to conduct theology independent of evangelization, independent of conversion to Christ, is a huge Achilles heel, and it's really harmed the practice of theology in the last half century or more in the Church. Uh, theology has, in many ways, at many times, has become detached from a fundamental gospel faith in Christ and has become sometimes a creative endeavor uh or an ivory tower abstract uh pursuit that is really often self-aggrandizing. So yeah. we so theology has to re- be rooted in evangelization and being evangelized and in evangelizing.
0: Yeah. That's the, yeah. and we're going to talk about today I think the mission of evangelism's yeah, yeah, nature. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into that exact like the Nexus point right between professional theologians and guys like me who work in the parish and stuff like that, because I do think there's a problem there but but uh, but let's get into I want to like just kind of get a little bit of your background because I know you well and um, you 've been my professor several times right and uh, uh, at Franciscan University of steubenville and but i 've known you. Socially before then, you know, I used to, I remember I used to, because um, I was a business major as an undergrad, because uh, my dad, his rule was no ologies or osophies. So nice. I had to major in business. <laughs> yeah. But I used to come over to your house and like pick your brain about stuff. Yeah. And that was when you were writing your thesis. Right. And I know, I mean, there was definitely a time in your life where, and I won't get too deep into it, but like you would have never thought of being a theologian. I mean, there was a pretty crazy time in your life. So tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are and what you do now.
1: Yeah, I'll give you the shortest possible version. It's an extremely long and torturous uh, <laughs> and beautiful story in the end because of Christ. Uh, I was raised Catholic. I left the faith um, uh, and then uh, uh, dropped out of college um, after a couple years. Uh, I found the Grateful Dead. And for those of you who don't know, they're, they were a, a major hippie band. <laughs> Uh, and there's a whole constellation of spirituality, f- uh, false spirituality that surrounds it. New age stuff, Eastern, uh, forms of, of spirituality, quote unquote. Uh, and I got hardcore into it full time, not just a weekend deadhead, but, uh, a tour head. I was on tour in the family as we <laughs> called it, you know, um, I, I, I had, was searching for uh, meaning, uh, and purpose in life and didn't think we had that in the West. Uh, cr- the Christian, the Judeo-Christian West was, was bankrupt, I falsely thought. And so, um, I got hardcore into the real, the real rub there was, the real crux of it was, um, practicing first, uh, sitting Zen meditation, which progressed in my experience to, um, uh, different forms of yoga, and in particular, kundalina yoga. And, and that's where I, had, I got buried in the demonic, which initially appeared as very attractive. Uh, and, I- and then it went south. And that's a very long story, but the long and short of it is when the veil got, started getting pulled off and I saw that the spirits that I was in contact with were um, uh, nefarious, <laughs> uh, were hateful, uh, and I was terrified. Um, and there was some strange phenomena, uh, I'm sure, and you exper- you've, you know, that's your your field of experience right. as well. Uh, I spoke with an exorcist, a friend of our families, who also taught me Latin in high school, Father John Nicola. Uh, he, he, was a tech- he was a technical consultant for the movie The Exorcist. For right, worth. right. He's, he's a well-known, right? Great, great man. And, um, and he said, uh, well, Mike, his assessment was, you're not possessed, but you're in a net, and you got to get out of that net. And so I started praying to Jesus. I didn't uh, believe that Jesus was who he really is at that point, but I was raised Catholic, and so I just said, Jesus, help me. And within a few weeks, uh, I went from a non-believing pagan, a neo-pagan who was ensnared by the enemy, to someone who came out of this. The phenomena stopped after about three or four weeks. Uh, of praying, okay. And the phenomena were going on for years, but it stopped after about three or four weeks of praying. And I came out knowing that Jesus was not like Buddha or some great ascended master, uh, but Jesus is the sole Son of God. He gave me faith. I came to know Him, and He and I knew came to know Him by Him saving me. So, how did I get to theology from there? Wait, wait, wait. So, oh, so sorry. Let me, ask you, let me ask you this. No, no, yes. no.
0: This is good. There's so no. much here. Sorry. No, that's good. I'm trying so... to make it short for. Right, no, no. So, so the ro- so the Grateful Dead. That's like a generational issue for me. So, the Grateful Dead. Are they, were they like promoting this stuff, or was it just the culture that surrounded them? Oh, oh no, absolutely. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, Bob
1: Weir, uh, the one of the guitarists with Jer- Jerry Garcia was the main guitarist, but Bob right, Weir right. would often come uh, to concerts wearing a Siva mind oh. control shirt. Jerry Garcia gave a famous book-length interview to Rolling Stone's journalist that became a published book. And I forget the name of the book, but it came out in 74, where he talks all about enlightenment and how you use LSD.
0: Okay. uh,
1: In the the vein of Timothy Leary and and Ram Dass, both of whom were professors at Harvard, who had awakening experiences with psychedelics. And they actually didn't use psychedelics. We didn't. I didn't use psychedelics recreationally. We used them systematically. Uh, in order to attain a, a spiritual awakening, which is very, very
0: dangerous. Right, right. Okay, so that okay, so that gives a lot of context, because I, you know, you joke about deadheads. I didn't, I mean, that's like a, it's more of like a, I mean, I think the most I know about it is from like that, the show, That 70s Show. You know, I didn't know <laughs> okay. too much about The Grateful right. Dead, but, but okay, so, so you have this, ma- I mean, this is a radical conversion, reversion, right? and then, and you've finished two years of college. What were you studying before? I was a theater major at Catholic University in the 80s. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that yeah. probably was crazy too at that time. Yeah, it uh, was yeah. crazy.
0: Uh, I'd imagine. Okay, so then then let's make the jump. Your jump to theology. Let's yeah.
1: So I, I, I'm converted, and um, I end up in Tahoe, um, in Incline Village, the Nevada side of Tahoe, and I'm working. And I'm praying and having wonderful experiences with the Lord. I did youth ministry at the parish there. um, And that was such a blessing. It was just a time of incredible blessing and healing. And it was also very difficult because the Grateful Dead was a subculture, but it was a culture. And it was a culture in many ways at odds with the Judeo-Christian culture of the West that right now is dying. But back then it wasn't Quite as dead as it is now. I mean, we're talking about the '80s, the Reagan era, you know, Reagan time, right? And, and, right? and first things and the hopefulness yeah. of a Catholic moment, which uh, we don't have that same kind of scene right now. Right. Uh, so coming back to society was a culture shock. It was very difficult in many ways, but being close to the Lord was—it was, was just—it's everything. <laughs> Nothing else matters. Uh, they did have EWTN, so I was watching EWTN. There was very little in terms of the world of Catholic Orthodox media. Uh, and higher ed, or you know, grade school, <laughs> Orthodox Catholic, the Orthodox Catholic scene was very small in the right. early '90s. We're talking about '91, '92 now. Um, so there was EWTN, and then I listened to Christian radio, Protestant Christian radio, which was fantastic for me, uh, right? Because it was the basic gospel message, and it solidified my relationship with Jesus in many yeah, ways. Yeah, me too. The EWTN me too. did too. Yeah. yeah, and I tell you what, the the, the show on EWTN. Um, the choices we face with Ralph Martin, Father yeah. Mike Scanlon, and sure. now Sister, but then just Ann Shields, I can't say enough good about it because there was a, it was a desert in many ways in the Catholic Church, uh, the post-Vatican II weird liberal stuff going on. This was just a pl- profound blessing. So right. I, I thought the Lord was calling me to the monastic life. This is getting to theology, oh, how to get, okay. so I thought okay. He was calling me to monastic life. I, I was. I love the Cistercians, and I contacted Cistercians. And, um, and so um, I thought, well, if I'm going to enter monastic life, and maybe they'll call me to be a priest, I should probably, and I love studying about Jesus and also talking to him and listening to him, but I wanted to, I was hungry for more. I thought, well, I should go back to college and get a degree in, in theology. Wow. So okay. that's, the theology for me was a way to become a monk, uh, and be of service to the community if they wanted me to be a priest, you know because you you okay. 'd need, need right. theology and and also it was a very deep love of God. I love him because he first loved me, not to sound too too kitchy or whatever, but no, but sure. I loved him, and i i couldn 't learn enough about him i I was d- dying with with for for knowledge about the Lord. And that time, the, New, there was no Newman list, Newman guide, but there right. were just three schools that, what, I started looking into theology programs: Boston College, Catholic U, and it was a wasteland. It was horrible. There were classes at Boston College right. taught by Mary Daly, who's p- since passed away, right using terms like fallow technology, okay like what oh my okay. gosh, uh, to criticize a male centric uh Culture, fallen right. technology. Uh, I'm like, what is, what is this? I just wanted to learn about the Lord. So that's eventually I found out about Steubenville, Christendom, and TAC. So you found those places. Where did you So where did Franciscan. You end up then? I went to Franciscan. The way I found out about those places were... Oh, I did, I, I, for some reason I thought you were at Catholic U. I was. I started at Catholic U as a theater major in the 80s. Then I failed out. And did you meet Laura, your wife, there? No, I met her here at Franciscan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I failed at a Catholic. You okay. went on Grateful Dead tour. The Lord saved me from all that. Then I want to be a monk. Where do I go? Uh, EWTN is one of the ways I found out about Franciscan because Father Mike Scanlon would be on on a regular basis. There is also right. a magazine, a youth ministry magazine, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember. It was, uh, I think it was just called You. Not to be confused with that youth catechism, but it's which is new. This right, is in the right. early 90s. And they would have feature articles about Franciscan or Christendom or TAC. So that's how I found out about those schools. And um, I chose Franciscan because pr- principally there was such a palpably vibrant, uh, passionate love of Christ uh, here. Not that there isn't a Christendom or TAC, but they're more, sub- they're more kind of mellow and subdued or whatever.
0: Right, totally different cultures. That's right. Great Catholic schools with totally Caron different Mac cultures. But was in right.
1: particular that was extremely important to me in terms of people seeking and a, and a, a, a personal contact with Christ and, and actually experiencing that. And again, not that that did not happen at Christendom and TAC, I'm sure. I'm sure And TAC sure, is right. Thomas Aquinas College flavor. Flavor in uh, Southern California. But also I like Stephenville because it's a university. Those schools were colleges. They, were ex- they are excellent and were excellent liberal arts colleges. But I wanted to go somewhere where there was a whole spread of majors, not just liberal arts folks, but also science, nursing, Business, et cetera.
0: Okay, so your undergrad then was theology from Francis University, then.
1: Yes. And philosophy. Then and I was, uh, then what? Concerning actively uh, religious uh, life. And finally, it was a, a critical moment out in a retreat I was uh, uh, taking with the Camaldolese monks here in uh, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah oh, they they are they're, they're great. They're uh, great. Uh,
1: and I realized it was very painful, actually, very, very painful. I realized. Uh, I had a passionate love, I still do, for the religious life, and spe- specifically for the monastic life. But that's, I was confusing that with a call to it. The
0: Lord wasn't calling me to it. That's exactly, so when I was in high school, uh, the, the um, vocations director from our diocese came to our high school, and they said, you know, we heard that you wanted to be a priest, and i said yeah i want to be one of those priests that sits in the room and copies the bible over and over again and he said um he said you know they invented the printing press and those don't exist anymore and i and i literally i think said to him like I I literally said to him like, "Well, I don't want to be one of those priests who helps people. I just want to be one of the guys who copies the Bible over." And he was like, "Yeah, I don't think you have a calling, you know."
1: That's fantastic. So the priest said, "So, yeah, so yeah, I yeah, totally God. get what you're saying." Okay, no, so no, I interrupted. That's great. That's Go ahead. Great. So, so then I said, "Well, now what?" I mean, I I I did really really well by God's grace, and really people said, "Oh, you you're so smart." I said, "You know what? I'm not really so smart. I just can't get enough of Jesus. <laughs> that's it." So yeah so i uh the, my passion it was really in a sense a not a maybe a weakness or at least it's not i'm not a genius okay uh i just had a great passion for 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 christ and and so i figured well i'll go on for my masters i guess what else i mean this is what else is there i'm praying I, it's nothing clear uh, so I did. I stayed at Franciscan for my masters in theology, and at that time, that's when I met and okay. started dating Laura, my 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 wife, who became my wife.
0: But did Laura uh, at some point? That's Laura right. was at so Catholic. So we first U. met
1: at Franciscan. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's we what met I'm at Franciscan. Confused. Okay, um, and we uh, dated for a while, and then got engaged, and I got accepted to the PhD program uh, in theology at Catholic University of America, almost uh, ten okay, years to okay. the day. When I got kicked out, uh, dismissed, the, expelled from the university for for, fail, for failing out, That's I got a awesome. letter in December of 1988 saying you're, you're, you failed out. And then ten years later, in 1998, I got a letter accepting me to their PhD program with a with a full tuition scholarship and That's all this funny. money, you know. And <laughs> so it was it was funny and it was it was beautiful and it's all Christ, you know, is doing. And um, so we got engaged. I went down to to, to Catholic U. For uh, the first year of course coursework in, in the doctoral program in theology, Laura was a junior undergraduate here at Franciscan, uh, and we're engaged to be married, and she decided uh, she'll finish her final year in philosophy. She was a philosophy major uh, at, Catholic, at Catholic U,
0: yeah. You're at Catholic U for your PhD program, and Catholic U's had some ebbs and flows in their theology program. Was it, what was it like when you were well, there? No, it's it, okay, it, it or, was getting better. Yeah.
1: Um, part of why I went there is because uh, there were professors with whom I could write my under whom I could write my dissertation. Meaning they were orthodox in the area that I was interested in, which at the time was mystical theology. I ended up in a different area um, eventually, but uh, but no, Catholic U was not yet on the Newman list uh, when I went in 1998. But but they uh, and yes, of course, Catholic U was in some ways one of several epicenters of dissent. Because of the uh, because of Father Charles Curran, who is a notorious dissenter from Vitae, uh which came out in, in 1968, reaffirming the Church's prohibition of contraception. And and when did he leave that university? He he was dismissed in 1988, uh, and then filed a lawsuit, uh, uh, and and actually a secular court uh, found that Cardinal Hickey, at the time was the bishop of Washington, D.C., and the chancellor of Catholic University, uh, was in the right. They found f- in favor of Catholic U because Charles Curran violated his contract. His contract was to teach Catholic moral theology, and he was teaching the opposite. <laughs> so he got... Yeah. Right. So he ended yeah, up down Texas, by me right. in Dallas right. at That's SMU. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I knew... Um, I, I never... I, I met him once... But he was like super involved with the Catholic Center at SMU, and very involved wow. with the religious orders there. So I met him one time, uh, and I'll have to tell you that story sometime because it was it was nuts meeting him. But uh, but he, I mean, he is the he was oh, a famous yeah. dissenter, yeah. like the guy at at that time. I mean, I, I didn't know much about him as a kid. I just knew I remember like seeing him on like the the Catholic Answers right. list right, 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 and right. stuff like that. Right. Of, you know people. people to avoid. Okay, so you finish your. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you finish your PhD at Catholic U and then, and then just like to kind of wrap it up, what did you do your thesis on? I, I, I remember that's when I met you when you were doing your thesis, we, we would come to your house for dinner and we would be like, where's Mike? And, and, and Laura would be like, he's probably up working on his thesis. Like you would just like vanish all of a
1: sudden. Right. Cause I had a
0: full-time job and then I had to write
1: my, my dissertation at the same time. It was crazy. Uh, but it was great. It was a great time, and I couldn't have done it without her support. She was incre- is incredible. But uh,
0: no. Yeah, she's no, no, no slouch Yeah, like no, she's great, and she doesn't
1: know it. She thinks, no, I'm dumb. You know? Like, well, no. <laughs> I get a lot of insights from her. I've learned so much from her, uh, and always ha- have and still do. But, uh, so I, my first topic, so I don't know uh, if this was first topic or second topic when uh, you were coming over. The first topic was on Augustine's uh, theology of justification because a lot of Protestants would appeal okay. to him, including Luther, the original reformers would appeal to Luther, uh, uh, it would appeal to Augustine incor- incorrectly. Augustine has, I thought it, you'd find in Augustine a kind of initial, somewhat vague, but pretty Catholic view of justification. What I found instead was an incredibly well-developed and profoundly, you know, Catholic, or it just, you know, true doctrine of justification that became uh, the church's <clears throat> doctrine, because Augustine's insights into the Word of God on justification are so profound and detailed. It was mind-blowing. Usually, you think, in the early church, there's, they're a little bit more vague in some ways, and then the teaching gets more and more well-developed. Well, with Augustine, uh, he's he's called the doctor of grace for a good reason, because he got the grace of justification down perfectly but that's not what I ended up doing but that's
0: what I started with. Okay. So what's interesting about that is, you know, since we're talking about craft of theology today, we can talk a little bit about this that historical context plays such a big role because you're right, the first reformers are quoting Augustine and some of these guys a lot. And then so you're confused because Trent is tons and tons of Augustine. So like, you know, the church uses him you know, to refute guys who right, are using right. him. You know, it's like uh, it's, and and it's uh, interesting. So I okay, was sorry uh, writing under a
1: great uh, Augustinian scholar Justa uh who had moved to Catholic U from uh, either I'm sorry, Norway or Finland, one of the Norse countries. Uh, and so- <laughs> good thing you've defended already. <laughs> well, no, I did. So what happened? I mean, I, I did, but not under him. So what happened was, I'm writing for about three or three years or so, maybe two or three years. Uh, and then he and his wife uh, are homesick, and their children are back in Europe, so they said I, 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 we got to go back. I said, well, "Well, can we still, you know, you can still direct from a distance?" Nope. <laughs> and at that time, wow. there was no one else to take up my dissertation because Catholic You, which historically has been renowned for patristics, okay, uh, at all in within one a one or two year period, lost all of their patristic scholars. This is nineteen. This is uh, two thousand one, two thousand two. Uh, now now they've recovered, okay, from that. But it just so happened that that for a couple of years there, they lost all of their patricians, so nobody could take up that topic. And it was providential. I mean, I st- don't regret a moment of studying Augustine. He's so fantastic. But I ended up uh, working under Father Joseph uh, uh on uh, Aquinas' theology of bishops, Aquinas' theology of the episcopacy, specifically the theology he develops in his biblical commentaries on on Saint Paul's pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus.
0: Okay, okay, that's awesome. And you have a, and that's your book. That's, I mean, that's published now as a book. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's right. And that's always been on our hearts. We we named our first two children, boys, Athanasius and Augustine, uh, because one of the big things on our hearts, Laura and my hearts, and our minds, was uh, we need we desperately need good. Leaders, good bishops, yeah,
0: yeah, bishops, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I vividly remember being at your house when a, a Athanasius was yeah, young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very young, and he would he would get a calculator and he would write a number on a calculator and he would say, Dave and Vickle, odd <laughs> or even? And I would say odd, and he'd be like, ah, you know, he would yeah. he would go crazy, like right, he right, was right. trying to trick me, you yep, know. So right. I I remember that, and it was when faith, I yeah, think faith yeah. was just born, yeah. Okay, so so. I mean, that's an awesome intro and perfect kind of for our topic today. And I want to get into like a little bit of the craft of theology, like what is theology? Because I I, actually, the reason I thought about this as a topic is because I it's been my obsession for like three months. Um, I read Avery Dulles the craft of theology. okay, and and I started to think like why did I not read this at the beginning of my journey into theology? So then I read, like, everybody's, you know, treatment of this, like Aiden Nichols and um, uh, a, a bunch of, there's a bunch that have just recently published. And then, you know, of course, Ratzinger's The Mission and Nature of Theology, okay? And, um, you know, just, I, I don't know. You know, I had I had a couple of years of high school where my teachers were all from TAC. And it it radically transformed my life, intellectually, because I started to look at things like like first principles, okay? Like if, if we're gonna do theology, we should probably find out what theology is, right? You know? And I think when I'm reading these books, like I start to think, this is the problem with theology today. Like people went way off the deep end because they didn't really understand the role of a theologian in the church. And the role of even a, lay, a theology in a layperson's life or in something like that. I mean, um, so let's start, like, let's have a discussion about, like, w- you know, just first off, like, what is theology? Which I think most people pretty much know, right? Aiden Nichols uses this uh, very technical definition, the disciplined exploration of revelation that is the self-disclosure of the divine, right? Which I think is pretty... Self explanatory, but then he gets into like what does it mean to do theology? And that's where it's interesting that like when you start to look at different theology programs around the country, it's wildly very it varies wildly and and it kind of misses. Yeah, the there's mark a huge a fracture in theology.
1: In fact, what I was gonna suggest is why don't we approach the question of what theology is. By looking at the insanity of what it, of what it is not of yeah. what it is not okay good good uh, because that's that's Great. dominated the Catholic scene uh, among theologians for for quite some time. It's analogous to how a culture of abortion and euthanasia have come to dominate to some degree the medical scene or or malpractice right. in law or okay. something. You know, uh, this is there's a malpractice in theology that has been regnant, and that's why schools like TAC and Franciscan are notable. I mean we're we're nobodies. You know, we're we're not like a a, a, a Yale or, or some kind of high fluting school. But why are we world renowned? Because we approach theology in, in many ways we approach the faith and theology in a radically different way than the way that most Catholic uh, institutions of higher ed uh, do. Now that's changing a lot in the last 15 20 years. Uh, but from roughly the '60s to 1999 2000, uh, we suffered through, and it, the, we're, the after effects are still here with a horrible, uh, um, inappropriate, erroneous notion of theology.
0: Well, it seems like it seems like yeah, it's changed drastically in the last 15 years, but only it seems like it's changed through newer options. Not it doesn't seem like there's a lot of colleges changing, like that were very, that were bad, basically. Well, Catholic U is one example. Okay, okay.
1: That, uh, uh, they still have issues, but they are now on the Newman list, and, and w- for good reason. So they're they're much, much better than they used to be, for sure. But you're right, most of them haven't changed. When yet. I was looking, right.
0: like, like last night, I was like, I'm going to look at some of these programs around the country. I had a real hard time finding a chair of theology that was Catholic. Right. Like right. these Catholic universities have Protestant chairs. Protestant, right. I mean, what
1: what is that well, all about? For, for Fordham University, unless this has changed recently, uh, their chair of theology actually was Catholic, but he is married to uh, a, an Anglican man. Oh, of course, yeah, so yeah, yeah like, that's so public. Gets... That's what you can just get. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness, um, is, well, so the yeah. view of theology that became. Dominant and Curran, as we were speaking of him earlier, had a lot to do with this. Played a huge part in it. It was theology is a legitimate academic discipline, and we need to be independent of the oversight of non-experts, including bishops or the Magisterium. Many of whom they would allege are not experts in theology, which is crazy, of course, right? Because JP two was,
0: and so was yeah. Except for that,
1: unfortunately, a lot of them now aren't. Right. Right. No, that's right. And even, so when this was happening, it was Paul VI, who was a papal career diplomat. He was a he was a career diplomat in the church, not a theologian. So uh, that's when they, they were able to say that then, I guess. you know. Um, and so uh, there was the famous or infamous Lando Lakes statement of oh. 1968 that Father Theodore Hesburgh, who was the then president of University of Notre Dame and Catholic U uh, personnel and all sorts of Catholics signed on to this statement. It's a declaration of independence from oversight by the magisterium. So what happens is you do theology apart from the church, apart from the body of Christ, apart from an active life of grace. Not that they weren't in a state of grace, I'm not judging that. But you do it apart from a, a liturgical and ecclesial context. What are you doing? What you're doing is secular theology. You're doing a theology that's uh, that's detached from its moorings in the word of God. So for example, you have biblical scholars uh, uh, who would be approaching the word of god as an ancient text not as the word of god
0: like the and, iliad or the odyssey would, or something yeah. like that
1: right and they they apply critical standards to the bible they wouldn't even apply to the iliad or the odyssey like well probably so and so you know so and so didn't author this book or this is not historically accurate when, when similar scholars in the field of classics accept Caesar's Gallic Wars as a legitimate text or Plato's, uh, Phaedo and other texts as legitimate, even though there are fewer ma- manuscripts that are less ancient and less reliable compared to the scriptures, manuscripts of the Bible, okay? So the point is that they would just divide and cut up scripture. Uh, Isaiah, there's three different authors and, uh, Noah wasn't historical uh, right. person. We're talking about the the corruption of the historical critical method uh, that dominated. So so Bible studies became philology. That is uh, linguistically uh, allegedly expert, right? But with very little theological connection for biblical studies. Then for systematic theology, well, they and I'm in systematic theology. Um, you people, we pe- we don't we're not Bible experts. We don't know. Uh, 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 Ugaritic, or, or, or you right. know, uh, Coptic, or, or, or all the languages, the Semitic language families, and we're not bible So we can't really authoritatively speak about the Word of God. And so this is the corruption now, okay, So and the insanity. So systematic theology then became a creative work of creating your own system, not discovering the system that God has revealed, because you don't really you can't really speak about divine revelation. You're not a biblical theologian, so you, so you take fa- uh, it, the the the, the cr- claims of the of the Christian religion, and you play with it. You 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 know explore it. Paul Tillich, the Protestant theologian from the uh, late nineteenth early twentieth centuries, is a great example of this. Um, so this is theology detached from faith, right? And biblical studies detached from faith, and what that means, David, is it's detached from evangelical focus. That's what I was saying in the beginning of the conversation. You said evangelical work has to kind of recover a, a, maybe a relationship with theology. Well, it's true the other way around. Theology has de- been detached from being first hearers and acceptors of the word of God. And then uh, reflecting on what we already believe in faith, and really, Aidan Nichols' definition is beautiful. It's is it from the Shape of Catholic Theology? That's a great. Uh, book. No, the uh,
0: theologian's enterprise.
1: Okay, okay, because yeah. he says something almost identical in this book, The Shape of Catholic okay. Theology, but it can be simply put by re- recalling the phrase of Ambro, uh, Sorry, of Saint Anselm, and he's uh, riffing on Saint Augustine. Theology is fides querens intellectum. Faith. Seeking understanding, but at first it's faith. It's faith, right? Seeking understanding,
0: right? So, okay. so, so interesting. So, Saint Thomas, right, describes theology as a science. Okay, which it, it, I wonder, like, if he had seen what the modern day academia, like at a university, was like, like what what would he have said, right? But when we put that in modern day academia, that's exactly what those theologians were doing. We're saying like, well, we should just be like a science professor, right? We should be able to put out new hypotheses and new things and and then but Saint Thomas qualifies that by saying it's a science and he says something about like um su- subordinated science or something yeah, like that right that's right where he says no we receive our principles from the principle the first principle from God so it's not like you can just it's not like we just have a, a prairie to Roman like there are principles that we receive that are real and we have to work around.
1: Yeah, the edifice of theology is not something that we erect by our own cleverness, okay? Right. But you're right. It's subordinate to what? So this is in the Summa, question one. Very first question in the entire Summa Theologiae of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, What is theology? Theology for him is a science, but science here is used in this classical uh, Aristotelian sense as uh, knowledge with certitude of conclusions that follow With strict demonstration from first principles, right? Okay. So for him, the first principles are accepted by faith by us, right? We we receive them in the Word of God, Scripture and tradition. Um, So we're a weird kind of science, according to Aquinas, and I, I think he's right. And by the way, it's not just Aquinas that calls theology a science; the Church herself also calls theology a science. As recently as the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith 1990 document donum veritatis on theology, the ecclesial vocation of the theologian, which is a very important document. But St. Thomas calls human theology subordinate. Subordinate to what? Subordinate to the knowledge of God. So in most sciences... The scientist, uh, and we're not talking about modern empirical science, we're talking about a body of, of knowledge with certitude. So that includes philosophical work and mathematical work, as well as the natural sciences. Uh, so they had a broader notion of science, a different notion of science in the, the modern world. The scientist sees the first principles. They see them, them as self-evident, right? Okay. Whereas, whereas in theology, we don't see those first principles. We don't see the trinity. The Trinity is the first principle of everything. Okay. Okay. okay? But somebody does, right? God does, and the blessed do, right? And God sent His Son to become a man, and Jesus repeatedly says, "Others tell you what they've, you know, believe, but I tell you what I've seen and heard in the bosom of the Father." Jesus speaks always as someone who sees what He's revealing. All right. So we don't see it, but we accept it by faith. So theology, its entire existence is completely predicated on accepting Christ's revelation in faith. And if you don't do that, you're not doing theology. This is the, this is the, that's the seedbed of heresy, okay, and error. And, and, and really how it's related practically to souls, okay, and evangelization and catechesis is that it makes a huge difference whether you get it right in terms of the revealed truths. Like, is Jesus God or not? If he's not divine, like Arius and many others have claimed over the years, uh, then he's not our Savior, not in the way that you know the Catholic Church says. Okay, uh, and 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 if you say he's not divine and you're wrong, your immortal right. soul is imperiled. Yeah, that's so. Scary. Theology isn't isn't just a ivory tower abstract endeavor. It's a very concrete, practical, pastoral endeavor in the sense that yes, it is intellectual, but the fruits of that. Uh, intellectual activity have to be brought to bear for the good of souls and the glory of Christ. I, I'm, I'm skipping way ahead, but that's, the, that's the, the nature and purpose of theology, is really has to be tied into giving Christ glory and helping to save souls in our own kind of geeky way. Yes, it can be very geeky.
0: No, no, I, I, I like where you're going with this, and I think I'm, I'm like comparing this... I can can totally understand all of a sudden just kind of like I have this realization of if you're in a university setting and every other discipline, their job is to do new things, new things, new things, new things. And then you have a discipline where the new thing is really just a a closer or keener reflection on the old things, right? right? That can create some serious – like there's some practical issues there. And I think like – it's interesting because I encounter you know a lot of armchair theologians in my uh, in my job, right? Like people who just are, they're good Catholics. They want to learn the faith and things like that, and a lot of them jump to speculative theology. Now you have me, who I'm a professional Catholic, okay, and I, I wouldn't really? necessarily call myself a theologian, but I want to be, you know. And I I feel like I am just at the point in my life, like you and I had a discussion a couple of weeks ago about Mary. And spiritual warfare. And I said, I, I think into myself, I'm just at the point in my life where I feel like I've I've reflected enough on tradition that I can start to even make those connections that are new, maybe. And I think like the problem is like you, you like it's it's not like science, it's not like being in a biology department, it's not like being in a computer science department where you say, Who's the person who's done the newest work? I'm gonna jump to where he is and, and move ahead. It's like no, we have to be informed by two thousand years of tradition and start to make those connections, but it 's always going to be looking back on the deposit of faith to give a keener awareness where i mean well let me ask you this, are there places in theology that you like you know right off the bat like like you look at theology and you 're like, we need to do more work in this area yeah absolutely
1: but and and almost every theologian has a, a, an opinion along those lines, but it okay. depends on how you see theology too. So if you see theology is at the service of the church as an ecclesial vocation. Yeah. So right. I mentioned that document uh, on the instruction on the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. Then you see, well, look, uh, put it like this. Uh, the Arian crisis is a great example. Okay. Um, tens of, tha- hundreds of thousands of people eventually fell into, pro- no, millions of people, fell right. into the Arian, including bishops, fell into the Arian heresy, which is the denial of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a pastoral crisis. And to, to 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 really resolve it with precision and strength, um, it required theologians of the highest caliber. At that time, most of them were bishops, St. Athanasius, uh, others lesser known folks like St. Alexander of Alexandria, right. okay, and others uh, who combated the Arian crisis with great... Th- uh, pious, prayerful, but also theological, rich theological insights to come up with technical terms that express these deeper, as you said, deeper insights, like homoousios. Right. Uh, that the son is consubstantial with the father. And that helped to... So, so yes, there are areas, every theologian will say, oh, we've got to do more work here or there. I generally think, and this is... I didn't always think this. Uh, early on, I didn't even know this uh, in my studies. But now, for a while now, I think that... What needs further work is often dictated by the crises facing the church, right? Uh, and the and, and the imperil things that imperil souls, uh, imperil their uh, flourishing in Christ, that, or that things that dishonor Christ. We have to go after those and and do our best to offer correctives.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. So so definitely, if you're an academic theologian, one of the one of the goals is to look and see. Like, what needs work? What needs to be done now? You know, so so it would separate you... I mean, I'm just thinking about how there's so much pressure on professors in academia to publish and produce new work, but it, it almost seems like academia is not even the best place to do theology. When I start to think about it, it literally seems that way because of the pressure there. Yeah, it's you know, weird. It's You know, uh, the university
1: started in the Catholic Church, and it was all... Very well integrated, all the disciplines yeah, integrated right. under theology in a sense, even medicine, right. not right. that they were doing theology and medicine, but it was all seen as very well integrated since the Reformation and then the secularization of the of the planet, uh, you, you know the rise of the uh, secular nation states um, one of which I love very much, our own country okay uh, uh, but still that's that transformed the university into a more secular model where the disciplines are seen as independent. Uh, of each other, independent of external... If, you, if you're adhering, here's the... Yeah, the pressure is this. In a, in a legitimate academic discipline, you don't adhere to an external authority that tells you what you can and can't discover in your research and publish, see? And there is some embarrassment, a lot of embarrassment on the part of Hesburg and others uh, in the United States who were seen by their Protestant counterparts as s- slavishly beholden to an external authority authority quote unquote that they didn't protestants don't accept as authoritative uh, th- that aren't part of your discipline so right. you're you're by bi- in other words you're biased see right you have a bias to be scientific and 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 unbiased right is you have to detach yourself uh from external in in, in intrusions right like that so.
0: so so that's interesting too because like i have a a real good friend um who he he not he's not now but he was a um, a Jesuit theologian at a Jesuit university. Um, his chair of theology was a a Protestant man. Um, and I, I remember like when the, when the theology department, I don't remember what they were talking about, but they published something pretty radically, um, dissenting. And he went to the chair and said, you know, well, do I even still have a place here? He's a faithful son of the church, my friend, father Marty. And, uh, and the the chair of the department said, "Well, of course, we need one of you." And that was his point. It was like he, we needed that one perspective. The token, yeah, right. Right, yeah, right. right so right, that right. students could see where where it was different. So, yeah. Um yeah. yeah, so so okay, I think like one of the things I don't want to I don't want to end the episode without talking a little bit about um theology coming down to us, the people. And I make fun of my brother in law a lot. My brother in law is, is Roger Nut, Doctor Nutt at him, oh, at Ave Maria University. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. He's he's and he's amazing. He's a great guy. And and he would totally yeah. not fit the bill. I'm just using him as like like my uh, okay, you know the the, the, the <laughs> academic theologian. <laughs> yeah. That he he sent me a book one time, and I was like, Roger, I don't even know if I can read this. Like, I don't even know if I have the education to read this. Like, and like I think like you are in a weird situation at, at Franciscan university where you t- probably teach more future DREs and youth ministers than anyone in the country, your group. And so I think like just, I mean, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are about like connecting theology mm-hmm. as a whole yeah, yeah. down to like, it's got to affect the faithful, you know? No, that's and, right.
1: So there's two ways I'd like to, to approach it. One is from the angle of the theologian and one is from the angle of the faithful non-theologian. Okay? Um, from the angle of the theologian, uh, I've already said a bunch of this today, we've talked about this today, but, uh, but I'd like to, to, to add one thing. Uh, yes, theology has a mission to serve Christ in the church, yes. I keep mentioning this document, I, couldn't, I can't encourage people to read it more strongly. Um, this Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, 1990 document, instruction on the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. In it, they cite Paul's treatment of the charismatic graces in 1 Corinthians 12 and talk about theology as a charismatic grace. Theology is born from a love of God and a love to know him more, a love of Christ. Uh, And it's a calling from God. It's not just, oh, this is my career. It's a calling from God to serve him and the faithful in the church as a theologian. And that service is reflecting more deeply. You said it so beautifully earlier, Dave. Uh, more deeply reflecting on what's already been given to us uh, and taking those the fruits of those insights, which come from prayer and study, both piety and robust academic work, and communicating those, usually through publication or teaching, uh, to others. And often it's just communicating it to other specialists. So how does that help the church? Because very often when it's done well and it's timely and it's providentially ordered and, and, and there's mm-hmm. grace, the church will pick up a lot of those insights and use them pastorally in magisterial documents. In fact, most magisterial teaching documents are the fruit of incredibly helpful uh, theology, okay? So theology is a vocation and it's a charismatic... So why is it a charismatic gift? Grace, sanctifying grace, is a gift from God to sanctify the recipient. It makes you holy. But charismatic grace is a grace you receive not to make you holy, but to upbuild others, Build up the church, as St. Paul says. Okay, so theology is a gift you receive and a calling you receive, uh, and the fruits of that are meant to help sanctify others to bring them to Christ. So theology has to have a mission, a, a focus towards serving catechesis, serving evangelization. Now, how about from the perspective of the non theologian member of the faithful? Yeah, well, in the fundamental and broadest sense, theology is just seeking to understand what you believe. And that's a very natural, spontaneous thing that everybody who's alive and and believing would want to do if they've reached a certain age you know age of reason and they go well wait a minute how is Christ God and man at the same time or do I believe in three gods or what you know this will happen in RCIA for adults often they have these questions or even if you're teaching high school they start to ask these questions or even grade school the kids will have these questions that they can ask before they're able to even understand the answer Um, and so there's a point at which and where's that point I don't know exactly where it is where you are evangelized, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, and our Savior. That's ev- being evangelized. And then you're being catechized, which is a, mo- a rudimentary beginning understanding of what you believe in faith, okay? But then you seek a deeper penetration. What, where's that moment? Uh, it's hard to identify. But you, you, you're doing, th- in other words, you may be a non theologian, but you're doing theology as soon as you're seeking that answer. Now you may not have the equipment and the tools, and you don't always have to see have the equipment and tools uh, to do a high level uh, theology. Okay, but you're already in a sense doing it. It's it's it's, it's important. It's important then, in fact, necessary. And this is the beauty of Sheed, uh, Frank Sheed, and his work theology and sanity. Okay, is that theology is for everyone in a sense? Okay, in a basic sense, not that everyone become a professional theologian, but it's kind of like this. You're not. A do- we're not medical doctors. <laughs> Um, and we don't need to be because there are people with great specialization who can help heal our bodies. Okay. And yet at the same time as an adult, you want to find out information, right. uh, about, uh, your body and health, uh, nutrition diseases that you have. You want to get information, right? See, so you're not a doctor, uh, but you are not a complete rube either. I mean, you're, you're, you're learning, uh, you're, you're being educated. So this is true also in, in respect to the health of the soul, uh, so you're doing, in a sense, you're doing theology, not as a professional theologian, but just a second you want to understand uh, what you believe by faith more deeply. In a very real, broad sense, you're you're doing theology. And then you could use the help, just like when you're looking into your bodily health, you could use the help of a doctor. You can use the help of a theologian if they are faithful, and they're not ashamed to take direction from Christ through the magisterium.
0: Yeah, so I think like... Um... So, I love so this is like one of my favorite topics. What you just got into right there is the link between theology and our spiritual health um, so one of my my favorite catechism quotes it says there 's an organic connection between our spiritual life and the dogmas. Dogmas are lights Amen. along the path of faith. they illuminate it and make it secure. Conversely, if our life is upright, our intellect and our heart will be open to welcome the light shed by the dogmas of faith. And I think that that is so important that people realize that there is, like, your growth in Christ is limited by your understanding, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life, right? Right. And to understand him uh, and to understand theology, even, like, dogmatic theology, right, like serious theology, it's to understand the full face of Christ. It's to view the full face of Christ. And I think that that... I just, you know, I think we have to, uh, I'll I'll give you just kind of this last thought. A priest the other day was asking, he was in one of my webinars, and he asked me, you know, what what do you suggest we do um, to combat the lies that are out there in our culture that are distinctly anti-Catholic? I mean, they're not distinctly anti-Catholic, they're distinctly anti-human, but what's happening is the group who affirms the truth is getting smaller and smaller and and basically it's just going to be the catholics in the end it seems that that's the way it's going there's some really strong protestant sects that are still uh, adhering to some of these truths but for the most part it seems like it's going to be the world versus catholicism right and he said to and him and like, even not not even all catholics right a remnant no, yeah. within right. the church exactly right right so i should have said yeah catholics. no no you're probably, you're good. Yeah, no, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And what he said is, you know, it's hard because our faith can't be reduced to memes or it can't be reduced to, you know, little quips on Facebook or Twitter. And what my suggestion to him and my suggestion to the world out there, whoever listens to this, is don't try to don't try to reduce our faith to memes. Don't try to reduce it down to little quips or sayings on Facebook. Like what we need is a renewal of the intellectual tradition of the Catholic Church where there were I mean, there are lots of theologians in history who did not have degrees in theology, but they just took the faith so seriously, and they entered into the fullness of the truth and, and, and stood on the shoulders of giants and made the connections and looked at things, things more keenly and did theology on their knees and did it right, and, and the Church benefited greatly from that.
1: No, no doubt. You know, um, St. Teresa of Lisieux is a doctor of the Church, but she wasn't a professional theologian. Uh, why, in the early church, Saint Gregory of Nissa, Saint Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, some of these early fathers would would often describe theology as as a as a mystical contemplation of God through Jesus. Okay, so so and really, in a sense, our whole trajectory of our lives is to end up in the beatific vision which is in a sense the consummation of theology even if you're not a professional theologian like St Thérèse but she is such a wonderful doctor of the church precisely because she lovingly contemplated in
0: mystical union with Christ the the Trinity yeah beautiful beautiful yeah, yeah. so this has been uh, so I love this discussion I I think what, like I wouldn't mind getting into a few more Details about it for the next episode because there were I had like some things on the list that I wanted to specifically talk about with you as well about like what is theology the craft of theology and also I'd like to get into uh, like disciplines of theology so maybe next time we can talk about you know how to do that um, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode I I certainly enjoyed it and I think that uh, I'm excited to continue this conversation again this is theology and insanity. Uh, And I am Dave Van Vickle, joined by Dr. Michael Cirilla from Franciscan University of Steubenville. And we will hopefully uh, see you or hear hear from you uh, soon. Uh, And we're kind of just starting out here, so we don't have any emails set up or anything like that. But we definitely want to welcome questions pretty soon and everything. And uh, so we'll try to get that all set up. So God bless you all. And we're praying for you. Please pray for us.